Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. What's up, what's up, what's up, New Hope Church? I hope you guys are doing well on this Sunday in July. I wanted to just actually take a moment to uh, share with you via video a couple of praises and set up our speaker for today. You know, I was in the house last Sunday. Some of you knew that, some of you didn't. Um, But I actually intentionally stayed away from the stage. What I did was I pulled up here with all of my kids. We parked in the farthest parking spot away from the church and we walked up. I wanted to experience the whole thing just like a regular New Hoper does every Sunday. And I got to tell you, and I've said this before, if I didn't pastor this church, I actually think I would attend this church. It was an incredible experience. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who makes Sundays awesome around here. I also wanted to just reflect back. I didn't want us to move too forward into the future without reflecting on Insight 13. That was our very first leadership conference that we hosted here at New Hope Church last weekend. And let me tell you, church, it went exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ever imagined, just like God said he would do in Ephesians 3.20. I mean, this place was slammed to capacity. I've never heard singing so loud. I've never seen pastors so engaged in worship. I've actually never taught pastors and leaders so hungry for the word and fresh vision and fresh leadership. And so I just want to take a moment and let you know that was a win. That was a huge victory in terms of our vision, the back end of our vision, to release fully devoted followers and other churches to the glory of God. So on the count of three, I want us to just give a huge shout out to all of the worship leaders from all the campuses who descended on this stage to help lead that. That would be Brian Fuller, Brad Mitchell, Brian Wall, Derek Hester, Rowan, and all of their teams, all the productions teams. I want to give a huge shout out to the First Contact ministry. I want to give a huge shout out to the breakout session leaders. I want to give a huge shout out to everyone in the administration area and department of our church. I mean, it was an all hands on deck, all the staff, all the staff. On the count of three, I want us to just give a huge shout out to all the pastors, all the staff, all the volunteers who blessed literally over 600 pastors and leaders last weekend and sent them back to their churches infused with vision and leadership and encouragement. So on the count of three, one, two, three, give it up church at all of our campuses. Give it up for all of those who made Insight 13 a reality. It was incredible. Hey, I got an important announcement, two announcements, and then I'm going to uh, get, the, get the speaker up on the stage today to bring the word. I am in uh, Colorado this week with uh, my buddies. Most of you know that I do an annual trip with four guys. They are uh, part of the external board of advisors here. It's three guys and myself. And uh, what we do is we end up somewhere around the country every single year and we spend about a week together and we pray together and we hold one another accountable and we ask one another questions and we're very, very excited about this week. I covet your prayers. But let me tell you about August 4th and August 11th. On August 4th, we are going to celebrate Holy Communion at all of our campuses. So just mark that calendar down. Whenever we celebrate the sacrament, it's always special. And so uh, we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper on August 4th. 
But then on August 11th, listen closely, we are going to be debuting our very first worship album, worship CD from our very own New Hope Core Worship Ministry. Uh, we are just so excited about this. It's going to be awesome. You see every weekend the talent that is on this stage. And so you do not want to miss August 11th as we have a full-blown worship concert. And they're going to be playing all of the songs on their CD. And uh, it's just going to be incredible. Well, that's enough for that. Mark those dates on your calendar. But let me go ahead and let you know today you're going to be blessed as always. Uh, Chad Lunsford is our connections pastor uh, with teaching responsibilities here at the church as well. And every time he steps on this stage, um, it's always solid. It's always a blessing. It's always faithful. So I want you to grab that pen in front of you, grab your teaching notes, open up your Bibles, whatever the case may be, and get ready for the word today. And let me do, uh, let me just encourage you to do what you always do. Show honor where honor is due. Respect him as the one who is coming to bring the word today. When he steps on this stage, give it up for him and uh, lean in and get ready for the word of God. Amen. So without any further ado, let me welcome Chad Lunsford to the stage. Give it up, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, welcome to those of you that are here at Central to uh, our first installment of a Symphony of Praise. Welcome to uh, all of our campuses as well. And if you're watching online or on TV, wherever you may be, we're honored that you're spending your uh, Sunday with us. Uh, I'm excited to launch this brand new series, A Symphony of Praise. I'm honored that uh, Pastor Benji would ask me to do it, and I'm excited that he is uh, getting some time away uh, with just some good friends and good, uh, good advisors, good encouragers to, uh, to be refreshed and uh, be, back, uh, be back here very, very soon to, uh, to share with us. I'm excited for this series, A Symphony of Praise. I wonder for you, what, what comes to mind when you hear that title, A Symphony of Praise? Probably for each of us, or is there something just a little bit different? There might even be some denominational backgrounds that might kind of uh, give you some color to that, to that statement. But for whatever it is, I, I want you just to think about it for a moment. What, what comes to your mind? For me, what, what comes to mind is that, that I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. That there is a symphony of praise that is taking place. But to join in on the symphony, there must be an awareness of the song that's being played if you will. There must be an awareness of where we fit in to it all. I wonder for you, how aware are you of who you are, of what you have? How aware are you of who you are and of what you have? What fills your awareness? So often we're far more aware of what we do not have, of what we lack. Somehow along the way, we've often lost our wonder of all that God could do in us and through us. I wonder for all of us today, if it would be good just for a moment to reflect on, am I fully stepping into the life that God has for me? Or is there a gap between what I'm living and the potential of what I could be living in God? How aware are you of who you are and of what you have? Have, have you ever thought about all that happens around us of which we are completely unaware? There's a lot that takes place and awareness is an important element of all of our lives throughout the day. Uh, think about it. it Self-awareness, right? Self-awareness helps you to understand how others perceive you. If you are cognizant of 
the speed limits when you're driving down the road, you're going to help keep your insurance rates low, right? It's kind of important. If, uh, if you have a house full of kids like myself, you need to be very aware at all times because kids could get into anything at any given moment that you didn't even realize you had, right? And they can somehow leave sharp objects underneath your feet, which were not there just a moment ago, right? You need to be aware. If you are in a band, you need to be aware of key, of tempo, of harmony. That's why they never let me in the praise team, right? Because I have no awareness of any of those. Awareness is a part of everything that we do. But I wonder, what is the opposite? What is the opposite of awareness? Now, I suppose by definition, it's just simply unawareness. But I want us to kind of put some other language to that to help us understand it, to really drive it home today. A word could be uh, indifference. A word could be ignorance. But the word I really want to sit on today is this word complacency. Awareness or complacency. You see, complacency is essentially turning off our awareness, right? If you're complacent when you're driving down the road, you don't care what the speed limits are, right? You, you're just, you're happy at your speed. It might get you into trouble. If you are complacent with the condition of your home, you might step on the sharp objects that your kids left there for you just for that moment of praise, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's always what comes out of my mouth when I step on a sharp object at home. Praise is the first thing that comes out. To be complacent means you've turned off your awareness. You've turned off your awareness. And throughout the scriptures, there's this theme of this juxtaposition of the two, awareness and complacency. Whenever the boy Samuel comes to Eli, several times in the middle of the night, he's saying, there's something that's calling out to me. There's something that's speaking to me. And Eli sends him back to bed because he's unaware that God is speaking to the boy. He had become complacent. When Jacob is in the desert, he, he says, God is awesome in this place, but I was unaware of it. When two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, they're walking and they're downcast, and a man comes up and he's speaking with them, and he says, why are you downcasting your spirits? And they, they, they say to the man, are you the only one who hasn't heard of this Jesus who was crucified? They were unaware that they were speaking to the risen Lord himself. When Noah builds a boat, it's obvious to him that God has spoken, but an entire world is oblivious that a flood is coming. Isn't it fascinating that those two words can be so close together, they're only divided by a couple letters, obvious and oblivious, and in their meaning, they're so far apart. Are we obvious, or is it obvious to us of all the things that are happening, or are we oblivious to the things that are taking place around this. I want us to start off with uh, this scripture today. It comes from Proverbs uh, chapter 1, just a really short one. I wanted to say with us today, it simply says, fools are destroyed by their own complacency. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. You, you see, complacency makes you blind to opportunity. Complacency makes you blind to opportunity, and it robs your God-given potential. Complacency makes you blind to opportunity and it robs your God-given potential. I wonder how many times have we been unaware of what God is doing around us? That we didn't see that person that he had placed in front of us, that he, he wanted us to, to love on. It was, it, was a, it was a divine moment. We missed it. How many moments have, have, have come our way that we saw them as challenges, we saw them as hurdles and roadblocks. God meant them to make us better, to make us stronger, to use us for something else down the road, but we were unaware. 
How often have I been complacent with who I am in Christ, simply uh, okay with the status quo, okay how things are instead of dreaming with God about the way things could be? How many times have I been complacent? I, I wonder today if our prayer would be, God, whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it, would you use me? God, whatever you are up to, I want to see it. I want to I be a part of it. God, I want to see all that you have for my life. I wonder if that could be our prayer today. What does it look like to be more aware of all that God is doing? How does it shape our worship? How does it shape what we do in here? Moreover, how does it shape the way we live outside of these walls, wherever we may be? How aware are we of who we are and all that is at our disposal? I want to step into a moment. It's in Luke chapter 7, and there's this juxtaposition of complacency and awareness. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your mobile devices. It's going to be on the screen here in, in just a second. And what I love about this passage is there are three characters. There's a Pharisee, there's a, a woman they refer to as the sinful woman, and there's Jesus. And all of us, in some form or fashion, are one of the characters. You're not Jesus, right? So let's just get that straight. So you're one of the others in some form or fashion. Uh, when we're walking throughout it today in Luke chapter 7, ask yourself, who am I more like? You see, what should be in this passage isn't. And what shouldn't be is. Things are kind of flipped up on top of their heads. So let's, let's go there now in Luke chapter 7. Let's begin. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Nothing out of the ordinary so far. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now at this moment, again, nothing's out of the ordinary. It kind of makes sense that Jesus, right, we looking back know he was the son of God. And that day they thought he might have been a prophet. He's eating at the home of a Pharisee, a religious elite. This kind of makes sense. And a woman comes by with an alabaster jar of perfume. She's seeking out Jesus. This is probably not the first time that this woman has been seen out and about with an alabaster jar of perfume. Nothing is out of the ordinary just yet. Let's keep reading. As she stood behind him, this is Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. It's a really tender moment. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he doesn't really believe it. He was just kind of inviting Jesus over. He wouldn't know if he was a crazy person. He kind of wanted to just get close to him, know who he was. He doesn't really believe that Jesus is anything special. If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He has absolutely no compassion on the woman herself, right? He has absolutely no concern for the man that's sitting him in front of him. If he were a prophet, he would know who's in front of him, that she is a sinner. This man has long grown complacent. Have you ever seen the, the show? I, I think it's on CBS. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's called Undercover Boss. Maybe you've seen it before. It's, in essence, a, a CEO uh, goes incognito so that they can go on the front lines of their business. And while they're undercover, they watch their employees. How do their employees treat the customers? And how do the customers respond to the employees? And uh, the, the consistent theme in everyone is they have no idea. They are unaware whose presence they are in. Some of the employees do really, really, really well. Other employees do very poorly because they don't know whose presence they are in. 
I'm certain if they knew they were in the presence of the CEO, most of them would, would kind of change their tune and, and straighten up and, and, and really kind of toe the company line. But a lot of them do not. So hang on to that for just a moment. When we're looking at the juxtaposition of these two, you see the woman had long lived far from God. She had long lived far from God. And yet in this moment, she is aware of who is standing in front of her. She's aware of who she is in his presence. And she begins to weep. The Pharisee, on the other hand, right, is the, the religious elite. He, he, in essence, is in the presence of his boss, and he's completely unaware. Little by little, he puffs up himself, and he puts down Jesus. He has long been complacent. He's not seeking after God. If, if he was, he would know that the Son of God is right in front of him, but he's grown complacent. He's not seeking after God. He's not seeking to help others. He's fully reliant upon the law to take him where he needs to go. The Pharisee shows us that we can be close to religion and somehow so far from God. We can be close to religion and somehow so far from God. We can go to church. We can go through the motions. We can sing a few songs. We can write down a few lines on our notes. We might even throw out a couple amens. But if we aren't seeking after God, we can be far from his presence. You see, proximity to religion does not equal awareness of God's presence. Proximity to religion does not equal awareness of God's presence. In fact, proximity tends to mean a decreased understanding of spiritual activity. We get this, right? We, we, we understand this. It's kind of human nature. That's why we can be uh, driving down the road and the statistics show that the majority of auto accidents happen within just a few miles of our homes right? Often at low speeds, we become complacent. We become complacent with our surroundings. It's why long-term relationships can become stagnant, right? Because we can become complacent with the relationships. We, we often find that the closer we are to something, the more intentional we have to be about pursuing it. This Pharisee had long been complacent, and he misses the God of the universe sitting right in front of him. And if there's one thing that the scriptures often show us that, that God detests, it's sort of this middle road, this complacency, this indifference. In fact, in, in Revelation chapter 3, it says it this way. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen this scripture before. It says, I know your deeds. This is Jesus talking. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. We get this, right? Like, I love my hot cappuccinos and I love my frappuccinos, right? Like, you give me espresso hot or cold, but don't give it to me lukewarm. We get this, right? It's, it's, we understand it. But I, I, I want us to hone in on this part. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. These are people that are aware of Jesus, but they are not pursuing Jesus. But you do not realize you are unaware that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, God doesn't want us to simply go through the motions, right? He doesn't want us to just show up at church and just kind of stand and sit and, and just kind of sing. He wants us to pursue him with everything that we've got, to become more aware of all that we could be in him. Moreover, to be more aware of who he is, regardless of our own circumstances. You see, you don't stumble into awareness you seek it. You don't stumble into awareness. You seek it. I wonder today if our prayer could be, God, increase my awareness. 
Increase my awareness of who you are and, and who I become in you and what you could do with this individual life that is completely sold out to you. But the question, of course, is how do we increase our awareness? Oddly enough, the, the sinful woman, as the scriptures call her, show us the way forward. So I want to continue in there. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you, because, of course, the, the, the Pharisee had just said, if this man were a prophet, he would, he would know what's, what's, what's taking place here. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, right, that's, the, that's, that's what you say when you're sort of indifferent to the conversation, you're not really dialed in, like, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. That's a very customary thing to do. Jesus had been walking all day. He was invited into the home of someone else. His feet were, were, were dusty and dirty. It was, it was customary to offer water and a towel so they could clean their feet. He didn't do it because he wasn't expecting a, a guest of any stature. But she, the woman, wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. Let's continue on. You did not give me a kiss Again, very customary in their days, so like a handshake for most of us. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Again, very customary to, to be given oil just to sort of clean and freshen yourself up for the, the party that was about to, to come. Jesus says, you didn't give me any of this, and she hasn't stopped loving on me since the moment that she got here. This is your house and she's the one who's been showing me worship. How do we increase our awareness? The, the, the first thing is simply this. Awareness exalts Christ because of who he is. Awareness exalts Christ because of who he is. You see, the Pharisee is completely disrespecting Jesus in this moment. He's completely unaware of whose presence he is in. There's no greeting. There's no hospitality. There's no deference to Jesus. And yet the woman stands in stark contrast to all of this. Right? She doesn't look for a bowl to clean Jesus' feet because she realizes her tears are beginning to do the job. She doesn't go looking for a towel because she realizes that her hair is closer and she might as well use it because who is she next to Jesus? She begins kissing his feet because she understands who, she, who he is and, and who she is in his presence. She pours perfume on her feet. She didn't just hope that there was perfume at the house. She brought it with her. Why was she worshiping Jesus? At this point, Jesus has done nothing for her. She's worshiping him because it's Jesus. So often we want to worship God because of something he does for us, but the place we always have to begin is he is God, and we are not. And that's where we begin, because he is worthy. Regardless of how we feel, he's still God. Regardless of what circumstances are swirling around us, he is still God. You see, this is not simply praise because God shows his favor. Or that's something different. That's thanksgiving. It's just simply praise because of who he is. So often we can say, like, I don't feel like it today, right? We've all said that. We've all, we've all felt that. I don't feel like it today. 
We might be in here and say, you know, I don't really like that song that the band is playing, right? Like, that's not my, that's not my jive this week, right? You guys like my dancing? <laughs> we, can, we can do that, not only in here, but you see, what we do in here is practice for the way we live out there. If we give our all in here, we're going to give our all out there. If we're reserved in here, it's so easy to be reserved out there. If we don't feel like it, we often don't give him our all. But you see, praise remains regardless Praise remains regardless of how we feel because he is God. He is God. And it's, it's not putting on a mask. Like, I'm just going to pretend that everything's okay. I'm going to pre- pretend that I don't have any troubles or problems. It's simply saying, I don't have it all together, but I know who does. I, I, I don't have to put on a mask because I know who's holding all of this together. There's times whenever my family, when we, when we go somewhere together, it might be a museum or the zoo or whatever it might be, and I often forget, we're just walking along and enjoying it, and my wife and I will be looking at something and enjoying it. My six-year-old, uh, who's decently tall for a six-year-old, will be looking at it, and we're all enjoying it, and I look down, and I feel this tug on my shirt, and there's our three-year-old who's just putting her hands up to me like, Dad, I can't see what you see. And I pick her up, and we all enjoy it together. You see, sometimes there are moments where you can't see what's going on, and you worship God in the midst of it. But you might be saying to God, I can't see down here, but I trust you can see it up there. Would you lift me up so I can see it the way you see it? Would you lift me up so I can see it the way you see it? But here's the, here's the deal. You may not see it the way he sees it, but you still praise him. You still worship him. Why? Because he's Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. There's times that awareness will awaken worship. We'll become aware of God in our presence and we'll worship him. But here's the thing. Sometimes we may not be aware, but worship can awaken awareness. Worship can awaken awareness. If we continue and we persist in our worship, regardless of of how we feel or the circumstances that are happening around us, if we worship in the midst of them, we can be awakened to his awareness. He might say, I'm going to show you something because you persisted through all of this. Suddenly, no thing is normal, right? No moment is void of God's presence. Each day and each breath can be taken in awareness of God. When I was at uh, Duke University and I was r- writing my final paper, the final paper I was going to write uh, for, for academics, uh, I wrote my final paper on uh, being aware of God's presence in, in, in places we don't typically look for it. I was uh, studying theology and the arts, particularly film. And I used one quote, it's one of my favorite quotes, to end my writing. This was the final uh, quote that I used, the final sentence that I wrote uh, for all of my academic life. I want to share it with you guys right now. It's from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She says this, earth crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Earth crammed with heaven. God is in our midst. He's doing something. Are our eyes open to it? Sometimes we need to worship in the midst of it, and he begins to awaken and open our eyes. There's another quote by another uh, author that I really enjoy reading. His name is uh, Frederick Buechner. It says this. I have faith that it's going to show. We'll read it from my notes. All right. The question, Buechner says, is not... 
whether the things that happen to you are chance things or God's things, because, of course, they are both at once, right? The question is not, well, the things that happen to you, are they God things? Are they chance things? He's saying they're both at once. There is no chance thing through which God cannot speak. Even the walk from the house to the garage that you have walked 10,000 times before, even the moments when you cannot believe there is a God who speaks at all anywhere, God speaks. We cannot live our lives constantly looking back, listening back, lest we be turned to pillars of longing and regret. But to live without listening at all is to live deaf to the fullness of the music. I love that line. To live without looking at all is to live deaf to the fullness of the music. And then he ends it this way. He says he is with us on our journeys. He says he has been with us since each of our journeys began. Listen for him. Listen to the sweet and bitter airs of your present and your past for the sound of him. How many times have we been unaware of God in our midst? Just like this Pharisee. In our midst, if we would just worship him, not because everything is good, but because he is God regardless of our circumstances, I wonder how many times God has waited to awaken us to his presence if we would just step in and worship. You see, all this time we thought it was us lifting up the symphony to God, when in reality it's God that's creating the symphony. It's God that's orchestrating it over all of us, and he's inviting us to join in the music. And I want to play my part to the fullest. You see, the sinful woman, she shows us the way into awareness that we worship because Jesus is in our midst, regardless of how we feel in the moment. But this is just the first facet. Now, this could stand alone. It could stand on its own. This is enough, but Jesus doesn't stop there. I want to continue reading in in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. He just explained to, uh, to this Pharisee of, of what was taking place. He was saying, I don't know if you saw this, but when you were ignoring me, look at what she was doing. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Why? Because they're unaware of whose presence they are in. They're unaware of whose presence they are in. But he's saying this woman, she knew. You see, the the, the second way forward is awareness heightens when we realize who we are next to Christ. Awareness heightens when we realize who we are next to a holy God. This woman had completely been caught up in the moment. She, she was aware in this, in, this, in this instance of her great sinfulness. And at the same time, she was aware of, of God's great holiness. And she was like, how can I stand next to him and not give him worship? When I am this and he is that, how can I not give him everything that I can? She basically lost her inhibitions in the moment. I think she was aware, if we listen to the words of Christ, she was aware that she was about to be forgiven much. And Jesus says, because she was forgiven much, she loved much. Now, he wasn't saying that she was more sinful than the Pharisee, all right? If you, if you see that, you're reading this all wrong. He's saying she is more aware of her sin than he is. And because she's more aware of the multitude that she needs forgiveness for, she's more grateful in the presence of God. And how could she not worship him with everything 
that she has. It's the same for us. When we stand in the presence of God, how can we not worship him? I know what I was destined for. I know the road I was on before I met God. I know how lost I was. So when I stand in his presence, how can I not lift my voice? How can I not lift my hands? It's the least I can do. It's the least I can do. And she lost her inhibitions in the presence of Jesus. I wonder for you, have you ever lost your inhibitions in a moment? Uh, For me, there's one moment that stands out kind of above many others. I, it was the moment that my daughter was born, my, my, my oldest daughter. It was uh, my wife's pregnancy. It was, I suppose, the textbook pregnancy. Now, I can say that. I wasn't the one that was pregnant, right? But, like, she did a great job, and she was just a great pregnancy all throughout. And it was our first, it was our first kid, and so we were kind of going into it with a Pollyannan sort of, you know, thought process. And we thought the baby would come on the due date, and everything would be just fine, right? It was going to be sort of easy, just like the pregnancy was. Again, I'm saying it was easy. I don't think she would say it was easy. And then she was 11 days late. And we were kind of like, all right, like, when's this thing going to happen, right? And every day you become a little more impatient, and then the doctors decided that they needed to induce labor. And so we got there, and they were inducing labor, and we'd been there for hours on hours and hours, and nothing was happening except the only thing that was happening is that my wife's heart rate was going up in the process. And then my daughter's heart rate was going up in the process, and they said, we, we can't continue to go on. Nothing's happening. We have to get the baby out for the sake of the mom and the baby. And so every... Or all of a sudden, sort of like our, our, our magical birth moment is not really happening the way we had pictured it, if you know what I mean. And they rush her across the hallway for an emergency cesarean. And I, I rush across the hallway with her. And I'm standing at, you know, up, up, up by her head. And there's a, a blanket you know, that's, that's covering her belly. And it's sort of an odd moment for me that they're operating on my wife. And I'm standing in the room. And I look up and they, they, they pull out my, my daughter. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm in awe of this moment. I'm just looking at my wife and saying, she's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And tears are starting to come down. And my wife says, she's not crying. And I was like, oh, like, 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 you're, like she's not crying. Like, why isn't she crying? Babies, when they come out, they're supposed to cry, right? And I look up for my wife and they've already whisked my daughter away to a table over on the side and they're kind of clearing out all the junk and they're trying to get her breathing. It's not really working and eventually they kind of get it and then they, they say, we've got to take your daughter to, to another room. We just need her in a room where we can focus on her. We think everything's okay, but we, we, we want to go and make sure. And so I'm standing there like, where do I go? What do I do? Like, I want to stay here with my wife. She's like on the operating table, but like, I want to go see my daughter. Like, this is not how I expected this moment to happen, right? And as I'm about to like leave the room and my wife's saying, go, go be with her. I can tell the doctors aren't saying a lot, but I can tell that the surgery is not going well. Like everything is not going back the way it should have. Like it's, something wasn't right. If you know what I mean? Like they, they they should have progressed by now with, with my with my wife, and they, and they had it. So I'm standing this moment like, where do I go? Like, like, what do I do? I want to be with my wife, whom I know, whom I've loved for years, but I want to be with my daughter who needs me in this moment, right? And so, like, my wife just keeps saying, go, go, go. And I'm kind of, like, wrestling with this in my heart, and I rush off to my daughter, and I spend some time with her, and they, they kind of get her cleaned up, and she's starting to breathe better, but she's not perfect, but, she, but she's okay. And I rush back to my wife, and I'm noticing, like, I'm just running around this hospital, and I'm not asking anybody's permission, right? Like, it's like, you're, you're not going to stop me. And nurses are trying to figure out who I am. And it's like, don't worry about it. I know who I am. I, I should be here. And I rush into my wife and it really, it took them a while to get her okay. It was not the way it was supposed to happen. And then we kind of get everybody back in the same room and everybody's doing good except dad. <laughs> and I remember I walked out in the hallway and 
And after I knew everybody was okay, and I, I just kind of stood there. I was trying to collect myself and just kind of like, what has just happened over the past couple hours? And then I look up to my right, and my entire family, like my family, my wife's family, like they're all walking down the hallway. And I don't know why, but in that moment, I just lost it. Like I just completely lost my inhibitions, and I just began weeping. And I think I was, I was aware of what I almost lost, and I was so thankful to God of the gifts that were in that room beside me and the, the gifts that were, that were coming at me. And I was just so in awe of all of the, of the blessings that I had and what I almost lost. Have you ever had one of those moments, right? Like, like I'm not a crier. Like, I don't come from a family of criers. It's not like I sort of have, like, a denomination of criers, right? Like, it's not like... Like, there's times we can come to worship, and it's like, well, like, I didn't grow up, like, you know, like, raising my hands. That's not really, like, what we did. We kind of, like, we kind of stood like this. This is what we did, or we, we held, like, the hymnal, whatever it might be, or I don't, we don't really sing loudly where I come from. No, 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 no. This woman wasn't thinking about where she came from. All she was thinking about is Jesus is in front of me, and I've got to worship him, right? Like, when I was in that moment, I was just so thankful of everything that I had in Christ, what prevents us from being fully aware of who we are when we stand next to an amazing God? To be fully aware of, of, of all that, that he's given us, to be fully aware of, of the forgiveness that he offers us. You see, if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. If you've been forgiven much, you'll worship much. If you've been forgiven much, you'll take what God has given you and you'll go and you'll share it with others, just like this woman. See, the second thing is awareness heightens when we realize who we are next to. I want to share one more scripture with you on, on this section. There's a, there's a moment in the, in the life of Israel when they've lost the Ark of the Covenant, and then they've gone and retrieved it. And then here's, here's, this, here's this moment in the life of David. We, we call him Dave around here. We just keep it casual, if that's okay with you guys. Some people call him King David. We'll, we'll go with Dave. Dave! Dave was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David, this is her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. This is ancient sarcasm, all right? She's not really saying he did a good thing. It's the opposite. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. David said, I'm fully aware of who I am. I was a sinful person that God plucked from the fields and made ruler. Am I going to dance before God? You better believe it. Because I know who I am or who I was and now who I am in the midst of, of God. He's, he goes on to say, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will come, become even more undignified than this and I will become humiliated in my own eyes. If it means I get to lift up my God, you better believe it. I'm going to shout and I'm going to sing because he is God and I know who I am in his presence. When we stand next to a God who has forgiven us much, how can we do anything but lift up our all to him? Let's move on. The final, the final part of, of this Luke, chapter 7. It's a small passage, but I think it, it carries a lot. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a small passage, but I think it carries so much. When this woman came to Jesus, right, her reputation in the town was sinful woman. That's how she was known. She was the sinful woman. And yet after one encounter with Jesus, she saved. All her past is washed away. Jesus says, you came in shame. You came in burden. I'm sending you off in peace. I'm sending you off so much better than you came. I wonder if we're aware that Jesus says the same thing to you and us, you and me, to all of us, that you came in shame, you came in burden, but in one encounter with me, I can wipe away that past and give you a hope and a future. It's amazing how limited of a view we have, how, how limited of an awareness we have of who we become in Christ. There's, there's a passage in, in 2 Corinthians, it's verse 12, where Paul says, his grace is sufficient for me. Now, so often when we read that, we, we look at the word sufficient, we say it's just enough. It's just enough grace to get by us, just enough grace to get through the day. It's just enough grace to save me, right? Like it's, it's a limited view. But in Matthew 6, when Jesus, using the exact same word, says, sufficient are your troubles for the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. You have enough troubles today. They are sufficient for you. We look and say, the troubles I have today are more than enough, right? The, the, the problems I'm facing today are more than enough. It's the exact same word, sufficient. In one hand, whenever we talk about God's grace in our lives, we say, well, it's just enough. When we talk about the troubles in our lives, we say they're more than enough. When will we realize that his grace is more than enough for us? His grace is more than enough for you and the troubles that you're facing and whatever you're encountering today. He is more than enough. You might be saying to yourself, you know, I, I don't believe it just yet. You, you haven't convinced me just yet that I have something fuller, that I have something more in Christ. I want to share one more scripture with you today. I want us to, to really hear it in our hearts and to, we're, we're going to sing it out over one another here in just a moment. I want us to leave with it today. It says this in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, what happened when Jesus was on the cross is he was rejected. He was despised by men like this Pharisee who were unaware that they were in the presence of God. It was the darkest moment in all of history. And God took the darkest moment in all of history and he began writing a new story over all of us. He took the darkest moment in all of history and he began singing a new song over all of us. If God can take the darkest moment in history and use it as a cornerstone for saving the world, what can he do with your life? The cross and the resurrection are forever a promise that no matter what you're facing today, he has a purpose and a plan for you. I wonder, are you fully stepping into it today? Have you fully stepped into all that awaits you in Christ? Because it is more than enough. It is sufficient for you. He wants to shower his grace upon you. When we realize that we have been forgiven much, we are compelled to love much. We are compelled to lift our worship to him. We are compelled to go and to take what he's given us and use it to make the world a different and better place. 
I want to invite us to stand because just in, in a moment, we're going we're gonna to lift up our voices to the cornerstone that was rejected. And as you're standing, I want us to think for just a moment. How could a greater awareness change your story this week? The, regardless of what is being presented to you today, that he is still God and he is still on his throne. And you might just need to lift your hands to him and say, I can't see it from down here. I trust you can see it. Would you lift me up so I can see it with you? This is the moment to do that. This is the moment to practice that in the presence of God. You might say, God, I want to be fully aware of who I am without you. That I may understand who I am inside of you. God, make me aware of the depth of your forgiveness that I might worship you more fully. But don't stop there. Say, God, I want to know. I want to know the, the opportunity, the potential of which you could use my life. God, I want to be fully aware this week. May I begin and worship and may I continue in the fullness that you have given me. I mentioned earlier that there's times that I'll, I'll see my, my, my kids and they'll raise up their hands to me because they want to see something. There's also times that we might just be standing around in our kitchen or in our living room and I'll, I'll look down and I see these hands reaching up to me. And I'm like, I'm not looking at anything, right? Like I can't see anything that you can't see. And I'm reminded that they just want me to hold them. They just, they just want to be held by dad. They just want to be closer to dad. In this moment, as we are lifting up this song, Cornerstone, I want to encourage you, whatever it is that you need today, would you just lift your arms to God and say, I just need to be with you. I just, I just need to be close to you. I just, God, I just need to hear your voice. I want to become more aware of your presence and all that that means for me. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I pray that we would become more aware first and foremost, God, of, of who you are. God, will we become aware of the greatness and the splendor, the, the majesty of our God, of how good you are, of how loving you are. God, I pray that we would glimpse the fullness of your forgiveness and then, that that would cause us to lose our inhibitions, that we would worship like we've never worshiped before that it would spur something in us to live fully into you this week and all that you offer us. Help us to realize that when Jesus became our cornerstone, the walls and the ceiling were blown off of our opportunity and our potential. God, we want to see what you could do through a life that is all in, that worships you with everything we've got. And to your son's name we pray. Amen. When the band leads us in worship, let's lift up our hearts to a God that we can't help but worship with everything. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you'd like to financially support the movement of New Hope Church, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.